please pray with me. God of grace, let the words that are spoken and the words that are heard be blessed by you, the living word. Amen. Wrestling is a rich metaphor. Wrestling seems such an apt image for a whole variety of struggles. Wrestling with an idea, wrestling with a problem, wrestling with our inner demons or our shadow. And some of us wrestle with God. Some of us wrestle with the challenges of our faith. I know I have had seasons when the image of wrestling felt like the most fitting way to describe my faith. Even the motivation for this afternoon's sermon topic, Brainstorm, comes out of countless conversations I've had with folks about the ways we struggle with aspects of our faith or of Christian doctrine or with the public image of the church. There is lots to wrestle with. Do you ever wrestle with God? Based on what I hear from folks, I think this is a fairly common experience. On the other hand, I did talk to someone this week who said she just doesn't relate to the idea of wrestling with God. As with most things, no one image fits everyone. Some don't like the idea that we would wrestle against God. After all, in the sport of wrestling, the two wrestlers are opponents, each seeking to defeat the other. Or maybe it's just that you don't relate. But many of us have wrestled. And the thing about wrestling is that it is very engaged, even intimate. It is a full-contact sport. You cannot keep your distance while wrestling, and wrestling with God can be very intimate. Today in our scripture, we encounter Jacob at the point where he finds himself in a drawn-out wrestling match. One of the things that makes this story so rich for our imaginations is that there is much in it that is vague or ambiguous. Jacob finds himself engaged in this wrestling match, but it is not entirely clear who Jacob is wrestling. It's worth reviewing a short Cliff Notes version of Jacob's story up until this point, because today's scripture means more to us if we remember who this Jacob character is. And he is quite a character. Jacob's story begins with Jacob and his twin, twin brother Esau wrestling in the womb. The twins struggled against each other even in the womb, so much so that the scripture says it made their mother miserable. Esau is firstborn, but Jacob is born right on his heels, literally. The scripture says that Jacob comes out of the womb holding on to Esau's heel. As a young man, Jacob the trickster seems to know that he could get his brother to give up his rights as the firstborn son just for some dinner. Esau comes in from hunting and he's hungry. He's famished and in that moment willing to give anything for a meal. Jacob takes full advantage and trades a meal for Esau's birthright. Then more trickery. Though Jacob's mother has to share the blame for the big deception, Mother Rebecca overhears Father Isaac requesting a meal from Esau. At this point, Isaac is old and ailing, going blind, and it appears he could be near death. 
Somehow, Rebecca knows that a significant blessing will go along with this late-in-life meal. So she concocts an elaborate plot for Jacob to take Esau's place. The plot is successful. Jacob receives his father's most generous blessing. Esau returns to find that somehow there is nothing left for him. Father Isaac is furious when he discovers what happened. Brother Esau is in anguish. That anguish quickly turns to rage. Esau hated Jacob, says the scripture, and Esau vows to kill his brother. Jacob flees. He goes to stay with his uncle, with his mother, Rebecca's brother. And here the trickster finds himself the victim of a great deception for a change. Jacob arrives at the land of his uncle and almost immediately sets eyes on his cousin, Rachel. It appears to be love at first sight. And he is, his uncle quickly agree that Jacob will work for seven years to earn Rachel's hand in marriage. The seven years pass and the wedding night comes and Uncle Laban sneaks his other daughter, Leah, into Jacob's tent in place of Rachel. And people talk about biblical family values. Jacob apparently cannot tell the difference. And when morning comes, it is too late. Jacob is bound in marriage to the wrong woman and he's stuck. Lucky for him, Polygamy was the way of the world for these ancestors of our faith. Jacob strikes another deal with his uncle, works another seven years, and finally earns Rachel's hand in marriage. Between his wives and their maids, Jacob goes on to be the father of 12 sons. Over the years, Jacob and his uncle continue to double-cross each other, but Jacob seems to always keep the upper hand. He grows richer and richer, Finally, Uncle Laban's sons get angry, and Jacob runs away again. Jacob heads for his homeland, back to his brother Esau. It is on this journey that we come to the piece of Jacob's story that Joyce read this morning. Jacob is running from his angry cousins and uncle and headed back toward the brother who had sworn to kill him. Jacob gets close to Esau's land and sends a message out ahead of him, a messenger to tell Esau that Jacob is coming. Esau sends messengers back. His response? I will come to meet you with 400 men. Well, this 400 men sounds an awful lot like an army to Jacob. And at this point, Jacob is terrified. He prays to God to deliver him. He strategizes. He divides his family and his servants and his livestock into different groups and sends a first group on ahead of him with abundant gifts for Esau. Here we arrive at our passage for today. Jacob now sends his wives and maids and children on until he is alone. As I said, one of the things that makes this passage of scripture so rich for our imaginations is that there is so much in it that is vague or ambiguous. The text tells us that Jacob sent these last of his family on ahead of him and then was left alone. But we don't know anything about his intentions. Was he planning to spend one last night alone before rejoining his family on the way to meet Esau? Or was he just about to follow his family when he was interrupted by this unidentified stranger who wrestles him? We have no way of knowing. All we know is that Jacob is alone at nightfall 
and a man came and wrestled him. The identity of this man, this wrestler, is another thing that is ambiguous in this story. But initially, at least, the scripture introduces him as a man. The two wrestle, likely for hours, all through the night. Perhaps you too have found night to be a time for wrestling. This mysterious wrestler asks Jacob to let him go. Jacob says he will not let him go until he is blessed by the wrestler. And then this mysterious wrestler asks Jacob his name. Remember that review of Jacob's story? All the competition and trickery and deceit? Jacob's story is reflected even in his name. The name Jacob is translated variously as heel or trickster or overreacher or supplanter. Supplant is exactly what Jacob did to Esau. He usurped Esau's rightful position. All of this trickery from Jacob's life story reflected in his very name. And the wrestler asks Jacob his name. In giving his name, perhaps Jacob is almost making a confession. I am a heel. I am a trickster, an overreacher. I have supplanted my brother's rightful place. And the wrestler replies, you shall no longer be called Jacob. The wrestler continues, you shall be called Israel, for you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. These lines are structured as if giving an explanation for the name Israel, that the name means he struggles with God. The wrestling match leads to a name change for Jacob. In the ancient world, names were much more strongly tied with a core sense of identity for people. And it is in the wrestling that Jacob's identity changes, at least somewhat. From heel and trickster, Jacob becomes one who struggles with God. Wrestling with God shapes us, shapes our very identities. And it is here, at this point when Jacob is given a new name, where the idea is introduced that this mysterious wrestler is not only a man, but is God. You shall be called Israel, for you have struggled with God. Then Jacob picks up that idea that he has been wrestling with God. Jacob names the place where the wrestling match took place. He names it Peniel or Penuel. The word for the place means the face of God. And Jacob says, I have seen the face of God. So the wrestling match ends at daybreak. A new day dawns, a new name is given, and Jacob is on the edge of a new start. But there's one more piece to this story. Before the name change, before the blessing, before the break of day, the wrestler wounds Jacob. The wrestling match has gone on for hours and neither wrestler seems able to gain the upper hand until this mystery wrestler strikes a blow to Jacob at his hip and he wounds him. Sometimes we emerge from our struggles with a few scars. The scars shape us too. The hope is that through God's grace we can carry both our wounds and the blessing we have received together 
both shaping our move forward into the dawning day God invites us into. So by all means, wrestle with God if that is where you are. It is just another way we hold God close. Trust that even when you are wounded in your struggles, God can yet work a blessing. Trust that the struggle shapes you, shapes your identity, shapes you into the person ready for God's new day. The important thing is not to let go. The blessing will come. Amen.